win every game, go 82-0. The only Mavericks podcast, without a podcast around, would you even know? The only Mavericks podcast, the night is long without some audio. The only Mavericks podcast, look there, a podcast shaped hole. This is the only Mavericks podcast in the world. Hello, welcome to the only Mavericks podcast. I'm Tim Cato. I write and talk about the Mavericks. I want you guys to know, Austin Guria, Mike Pellucci, my two co-hosts on this episode. I want you guys to know that if we ever have a bad pod, if we ever go into halftime of our podcast, and it's just... The, the performance was not there for us. Let, let's say we had an embarrassing moment in the first half. We are taking our headbands off. We are taking our shoes off. We're getting new ones. And we're coming back out set strong in the second half. It's still going to be bad. It's not going to change anything. But damn it if we aren't going to do our best to change the karmic luck of the podcast that we just recorded. That's who we are. That was good. Dude, I, like I, <laughs> I believe I believe in changing your shoes at halftime. What about the headband? Sometimes it does work. It does. It yeah. does work. Tim, I've, I've told you this story on my college soccer team. I had a teammate who would bring like seven pairs of cleats to every game because he just had so many. And if one of us was having a bad game and we wore the same size as him, we just change shoes. Sometimes we change cleats, and you and you play better. That's it. I mean, you throw away uh, the game. Did you take with this man's like cleats. He was just like the team cleat guy, or like these. He just all- had so many pairs. We, we weren't. We didn't have a lot of money at this program, so we couldn't just go to the equipment guy to get cleats. We just had a guy on our team who had a lot of cleats, and at halftime, I would go to Smitty and he'd be like, "Hey, I need, I need a new pair. I just, I can't. I'm not playing well. I'm gonna swap." Smitty, out. Smitty, you have an Irish. Irish Catholic on his, your team? He just went by Smitty. He's a, Look, dude, he was calling. But Smitty and you're giving everybody cleats, you are the maximum vibes guy on the team. There he was is. the vibes on the team. He was, he was so, also... So the, 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 the podcast equivalent of this would be, hey guys, uh, halfway through, I, I'm just not having a good podcasting time right now. Let me go get my other mic. Yes. <laughs> and I just, I switch out my microphone. <laughs> I go I go from my personal laptop to my to my work laptop. Sometimes you need it. Sometimes you just gotta <laughs> you know, you stop the file years. record. You stop the file record and you start a new record. Yeah. You know? Well, that's what it is. I not even that. It's like I'm not recording my local through QuickTime anymore. I, I'm using Apple Music. I'm I'm downloading Audacity. Man, I'm, I'm changing us. everything. We're not we're not on Zoom anymore. We're using one of those podcast uh, websites that uh, I don't know all the fancy podcasts you use like Blocked On and stuff. So. Anyway, uh, we're recording Tuesday night. For this right here. Hey, it's good content. I, I don't know who even listens to this. I hope a decent number of people. If you skip right through, um, there's a loud sound to say, time to check in. We're talking Mavs. It is Tuesday night. Uh, last night, the Dallas Mavericks lost to a better team, the Boston Celtics. It was a convincing defeat. It was not an embarrassing defeat. Um, maybe you could make that argument uh, circumstantially. Boston was coming off the second night of a back-to-back. You're going to be listening to this on Wednesday. That's that's all in the past. Like you know the circumstances. Chris Stapps didn't play. Dallas had their break. Dallas was just worse. They 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 were the worst team. They had a a average performance from Kyrie, and in a game like this, they need a more than average performance, and they had a bad performance from Luka Doncic. Um, a bad performance from Luka still looks 
ridiculous in terms of his actual stat line. Luca himself said after the game, it was a bad performance. It wasn't his night. Big picture takeaways, vibe check, all of those things. What did you guys take from that game as as much as you can take something from a great team, a title contender beating a not quite there? I think when while watching the game, the the Celtics are honestly very similar to that 2022 Mavs team that went to the conference finals, but their role players are all like borderline all stars. <laughs> like if if you made Dorian, Reggie Bullock, and Maxi Kleber borderline all stars, that would be this this Celtics team. Like it was, it they play that same five out style, and I think it gave the Mavs a lot of trouble. A, a lot of trouble, and the Celtics are very talented, and. I think the the Mavericks can compete with them, but they need a obviously a very good Luka Doncic, a very good Kyrie Irving game to do that. But I think also what was pretty evident in the game is in a high leverage playoff game, you might not be able to play Derek Jones Jr. if he's not hitting threes. I think he, sh- I think it kind of stood out that he could not make threes and could not hit shots consistently, and they couldn't play five out basketball. It also was kind of kind of stuck out. Lively didn't play badly, but they couldn't play with a traditional five man, and they needed to play five out with Maxi to get anything going on offense. And it's again, it's not a criticism of Lively. He's just nineteen. He's, he's learning how to play five out. But I think on both ends, he struggled a little bit, just trying to find where he was supposed to be consistently against Al Horford, who is a great spacing five man. And I, I don't think it's, I don't think it was a very like like an overall criticism of the Mavericks team. I think it was just kind of a a benchmark of where where they are right now and how far they need to go as a team and and where they really still have large talent deficiencies. Mike, do you want to stick on those points? Or I have some uh, thoughts. Yeah, or are actually, you going to go a different direction? No, I think I want to branch off of it because I think, Austin, I agree with part of that. I agree with, and I don't agree with part of it. I think the part I agree with is, look, we talk a lot in the show about how they're too many guys on this team that are one-way players. Well, what they just got beat by is a team that has two-way players that you can put five of them on the floor at the same time. It didn't even have Christoph Scorzingis. Like Boston isn't terribly deep, but that starting five plus Warford coming off the bench is just, it's ridiculous. They can do almost anything they want both ends of the floor. And meanwhile, we're sitting here going, all right, well, who can get mixed and matched in for Dallas to help on one end and not bleed too much on the other. And that's, that's you know we could sit here and quibble with the record and set you know against teams of the second night of back-to-backs i uh shout out to our dudes kirk and josh over at um why am i forgetting the name of the show right now that's not a good pod, sign pod maverick pod maverick pod maverick, pod maverick. Yeah. uh but our, our dudes there as they point out in today's show because i listened to them a good bit uh dallas is now one and four against teams of the second night of back-to-back i don't think that means anything last night i think it might mean something in the bigger picture uh, so, yeah, it's a roster construction thing. They got beat by the best team in the league. Even any of that team, even without Christoph Porzingis, is still really complete, and Dallas isn't. The part that I will push back against slightly is I'm with you that this was not a great, lively game, but Maxi playing as a five and the idea of a stretch five when he's not willing to stretch the floor and is not aggressive and taking shots, at that point, to me, I think a, a lot more about trying to do the metaphorical zagging where they zig and just being like, look, we're not going to be able to play five out ball with you because we don't have enough shooters. What we do have is a 19 year old who can control the paint when you don't have uh Christoph Sporzing us on the floor, at least try to win the rebounding battle, at least try to do more things offensively going to the rim. 
I think Maxi still has his uses. He's still a long athletic defender, but to me, that works a lot better in concert with Lively versus trying to play as a stretch five against a team that you're not going to beat them at that game. You know, at, Let, at, go ahead. Yeah, let's stick on this topic just for a second. Here's here's a few, you know, I I, I was going to say facts. Maybe that's here's a few opinions that I believe are true about the game. Um, Lively was not good in five out. I think you could make an argument for zagging and I think you can make an argument for he's a rookie who's going to have to be figure out where to go in a five out offense, figure out how to defend that play him, get that experience anyway. I do think if you actually look at the second half, there was a lot of people asking, why did he only play nine minutes? If you look at that, he missed a lot of three point uh, defensive rotations or defensive rotations out to three point shooters. He missed quite a few of them. Uh, That is a true thing that happened. There are arguments he should have played more despite of that maybe even because of that, but that is something that happened. I also think that Maxi, to some extent, is getting minutes based off the player he has been, not the player he is right now. It was very weird that he had a driving baseline reverse layup finish. This man, like, like when he doesn't think, he's very good at basketball. Yes. And coming back after a month and a half, two months, really, yeah, two plus months of, of missing basketball, there is an idea that there is a rhythm that they can get him at, at some point. Uh, it was a- after the Lakers game. I also asked Jason Kidd after that game, why did you favor Maxi over Lively down the stretch? And I thought Lively had played better in that game um, than he did in the second half against Boston. And Jason Kidd, like it or not, he said that one of the reasons that he played Maxi was that they need to get minutes to Maxi. I don't know how great of an answer that is, but that is what he said. But, but I think the idea behind it is if you get this guy minutes, maybe you get him back to some percentage of the player that you used to have. Um, if he's 50, that's a little, that's too low. If he's 70% of the player that he was a couple of years ago right now, if you can get him back to 90% of that player, that's a really useful player. Overall though, I, I, I agree that that was probably a game. It was better to zag. It was probably a game where, in a small sample size, Maxi's minutes looked better, but it wasn't something that was going to bear out for the course of the game. Um, I definitely see the argument of of if you're starting a rookie center, that means you're you need to put a rookie center in tough spots, even when they're struggling, and especially in a game that you know there wasn't any you know they they surged late, um, but then they stuck with it as the game got out of hand. I don't know. I, I don't want to second guess it. A lot um, in the moment, I think the, defi- sure. the decisions are justifiable. Yeah, it, it, that's the thing. We could sit here and we could play devil's advocate and play this both ways, but I don't know how much it would have mattered either way. This yeah, is just right. a big I, gap in these rosters. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't. I don't think it was a difference between winning and losing. And I also think Maxi is such a such a difficult player to assess game to game. I think it's also like I mean sometimes I think we forget that like as good as he was in the 2022 playoffs this guy is kind of still living off of just that playoff run but he he stunk for like those two months before the playoffs that was honestly the two months before the 22 play- playoffs he was probably the worst basketball he's ever played and he could not hit a shot for two months and hit Stoke with him and then he had a great playoff run and teams funny enough, still guard him to the three-point line. They, they still space out to him, even though he's not hitting shots. And I think Kid is trying to... He doesn't want to take to, shots half the time. It's not even just the hitting. Yeah. He doesn't want to take them. He doesn't want to well, take you know them. What, you know what spurred, you know, the the 
the hot shooting streak he had in the playoffs, it was that teams decided, okay, we're going to dare you to shoot. Yeah. And then then, he had wide open shots and then he started taking some and making some and he got his rhythm back and he stopped overthinking. And then he went on to hit, you know, like eight in a playoff game or whatever it was Uh, that that legitimately was the series of events that led to the postseason that he had. There was also some, hey, he rested and then but there was a moment where teams stopped guarding him and that's when he kind of got his rhythm back. Yeah, I I think, again, it's just it's a he's a really difficult player to assess game to game and. He's, I think, living on reputation, both the way he's been guarded and also the way he's being coached. And we won't know if he can get back to that player unless unless he plays those minutes. So I think it's it's gonna be very tricky. I think well, I think it'd be one thing to watch as they go down the stretch to how much how much he plays versus lively and like where lively struggles. And also lively is still a teenager who is a rookie who's still learning and can can make mistakes. And I think it's natural for a head coach to rely on a veteran that took him to the conference finals in, in previous seasons. Okay. But here's my question here. However fanciful this is or isn't about what is expected to become a Maxi Kleba in 2024. Why is this him or lively when we know how size challenged this team is, when we know that Maxi can move well defensively, that's still the best tool in his bag. Why isn't this him and lively in stretches, you know, Play because the of because invention. the rotations because the rotations that lively was missing he's going to miss no matter what if he's the five i get that yeah. and i do and like look we are talking about imperfect options no matter what you do but the flip side is if you're if we're sitting here saying well playing more minutes maximizes maxi putting him next to lively gives you defensive length it lets you not it healed on the glass of Maxi's playing a five. And if the idea is maybe more gravitational pull away from Maxi, gives him open looks, it gives him confidence. Having Lively in the paint, it forces the, the defense to account for him while at least one of Luke and Kyrie is on the floor. That's a much better scenario for Maxi getting open looks. This bleeds right into Austin's other point, which I wanted to circle back to. Um, you talked about Derek Jones not being able to hit shots. Right now, this team does not have reliable spot up shooting. No, there is there. There is who do you trust on the roster to make a three point shot outside of the three, you know, outside of Luca, Kyrie, Tim Hardaway and maybe some, you know, yeah, sometimes Josh. Honestly, I I don't I don't even trust like Josh. Josh Green is quite literally not the most consistent player, not the most, you know, every single game. He is probably the player outside of, you know, Exum who's heard. And we're talking about Dante Exum. Who's been great? But like, well, I guess if you're talking about it, reasons, nobody's reliable. It, it, I was to say it's probably Jaden Hardy, but Jaden Hardy has other reasons for not being on the floor, right? So, look, right. on a given night, the problem is that on a given night, somebody else will probably hit some threes, but you have no idea who it is until it's probably the third quarter. And at that point, how many points have you given up, and how many opportunities have you wasted just trying to figure out who you could depend on in a certain night? So that could be an argument for hey, if if these role players are not hitting threes, at least put. Maxi out there with which alleviates some of that. As you said, Maxi is a four. At least put Maxi as a four out there, and you know you're going to get size and defense. Yeah. Um, which I think right. Maxi's defense has been above average, and, and pretty good, pretty good. It, honestly, one of his, I've seen better Maxi defense than I saw for long stretches last season thus far. Um, I, I think since he returned. But yeah, that's that's a problem with this team right now. That that is a that is a a, a huge issue. We came into the season and look, they're still making a ton of threes, and and on a night to night basis, like you said, 
usually some some of those players hit a lot of threes, but there is a glaring, you know, there is a huge need for a player who can hit 40, 45% of their shots on, on you know, catch and shoots. And that's why I think at some point, Grant Williams might win people back, even though he's been very, very bad of late. Because if he can start hitting those threes, and, and he is the person out of every player on this roster with the most reliable track record of hitting 40 plus threes, I, I think that's a really, really necessary skill that this team does not have right now. Yeah, I, th- I think watching that Celtics game, I was I was reminded, I was reminded why uh, Dorian and Reggie played forty minutes a game in the playoffs. It's it's hard to defend and be able to like be a capable defender and also knock down a high percentage of threes. Like, there's there's not that many guys that do that in the league, and they don't have that many guys on this team. I think Grant was supposed to be that, and he's been neither. He's not hit corner threes, and he's not defended at a high level, and as much as they've, they've their offense has been good this year and they've hit a lot of threes, they actually have not been a good corner three point shooting team. I can't, I don't have the numbers on hand, but they their percentage is significantly lower than it was last year. Even though they're getting, and I can tell you, they the create the most. Yeah, they create the most. They create the most. Yeah, yeah, yeah. not hitting. I'll find these numbers for you, but I know off the top of my head, they definitely create the most, and they they don't hit as many as they should. They don't hit as many. Or could as they should let's say could that. Yeah, and that's and that's why their offense is like I think they're eighth right now. That's why they're eighth, and they're not like third or fourth because they're not mm-hmm. hitting corner threes. And I think their offense is also a little bit of an issue because when you when you miss corner threes, they turn into transition opportunities. There was a <laughs> Maxi clanked a corner three in that Celtics game, and it literally turned into a runout layup. Like it it was a perfect carom right into half court, and it turned into just a layup for the Celtics. And I think. That's I mean, that's lay, lay it out for us. I know we both know. Like, why why is that situation so transition deadly? So, like, uh, a lot of times when you get a corner three, is someone has gone to the paint. So there's lots of people who are towards the rim, and if you miss a shot from the corner, a lot of times that shot sprays out towards the top of the three point line. And if the defense grabs that rebound, it's an easy run out. There's there's fewer bodies back on that line because you, you, have you a usually have two corner. players. You usually have two players on the baseline. Sometimes yeah. three. Yeah. And you when you have, baseline, yeah, you, you have, have, you have two to paint. three. Yeah. 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 And, and so you have two least... to three players in involved in the action because it's almost always a, a driver who kicks to the corner. Um, so you have two players who just were in the act of shooting or in the act of, you know, tumbling into the baseline after they made the corner pass. And so basically two players on the baseline out of, out of the possession. And so, you know, if the, depending on where the rebound goes and it may go someone very advantageous, you know, all of a sudden you've got a three on five, a three on four, or a for the for the opponent, you've got a uh, four on three or a five on three going the other way. Yes. Um, the answer is that they take 11.6 shots from the corner, which is most in the league, and they shoot 37% on them, which is about actually towards the bottom. Yeah, it's uh, two, four, six, eight. Uh, so 23rd in the league. Yeah. 22nd, that's... 22nd or 23rd. It, they they aren't shooting them well, and that goes into their offense being their defense. If they're shooting a high clip from the corners, it's going to really help them. They're going to when you when you miss a corner three and someone gets a run out layup, that's a five point swing instantly in a game. It's and it's very yeah. debilitating. And I think that's that is actually I think one place where they can really improve at the trade deadline if they make the correct moves. Any thoughts on that, Mike? No, I think that's right. I mean, if you want a microcosm of why this roster has problems, if you can't depend on them to hit the most proficient 
three-point shot that they create, and we know that they have issues defensively, what are you really banking on? And we know that they don't rebound. So we could sit here and, you know, after that eight and two start, they're roughly playing 500 ball. So that's, that's probably, you know, and like that isn't necessarily to say that they are only a 500 level team that, you know, teams go on runs. There's no reason why they can't go on another one late in the year, especially once you get to late March and you figure out who the tankers are. You know, I haven't checked the schedule yet to see if, like if that aligns, but you figure they're going to find some teams who are just ready to get the season over with. But yeah, if you were a team that doesn't, rebound terribly well all the time and your shooting is hit and miss and you have defensive issues that we all know well yeah you're going to struggle to get out of the play-in range even if you have players as good as Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving running the show they they also I, I looked at the stats for last season they also led the league about the same number of attempts they were shooting 40 percent last year 37 this year so a three percentage point drop which in over the course of the season that adds up to a lot of a lot of points and as you said a lot of points the other direction a lot of this is just saying Dallas is not as good as Boston. That is ultimately why they lost. That is the key issue. Uh, I wrote a little bit about like the the less um, you know the emotional sides and the ephemeral sides of what makes a contender and what doesn't. Um, do you guys want to walk through that a little bit? Because I thought there was one contrast that made a lot of sense to me. Um, if you guys want to hear it, absolutely. Yeah, go ahead. So. I was listening to Joe Missoula before the game and he did not used to be good with the media and, and Celtics media, you know, good with media, meaning he used to not say a lot. Uh, I want to say it in that context. He, he used to not say a lot to the media. And I found a, a couple of things he said really interesting. And one of them was that he showed his players like a, like a PowerPoint full of narratives that, you know, to quote him, it's the dog days of January. It's a big game tonight. It's the second night of a back to back. It's five and seven. There's always a narrative to latch onto. That's a Joe Missoula quote. Uh, and he followed it by saying, there's always a narrative you can fall into. And you have to decide if you're going to do that or just play the game. We have to make that choice every game. I thought that was pretty striking when after the game, Jason Kidd said, um, and I quote him here, I think we were just a little bit frustrated with the officiating and we lost our focus. We've got to be better there. I think that's true. I think that it from... Literally the first play, one that Lucas scored on, or, or Lucas first, like the first two points of the game was a Luca layup, and he looked at the official and he, you know, clearly he thought it was an and one. And then several possessions after that, he was he was frustrated with them. I don't know where you guys want to parse out, you know, I I, I don't think necessarily that Joe, you know, I I think I think Missoula deserves credit for what he's been able to do. And I think, um, you know, kids team is not showing to that degree. Should we just wait till Mike gets back on? I was going to say, we can keep going. I could just go back and forth until. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say that. But on Luca's first play of the game, you know, like he drove the first two points of the game. He drove and he looked at the refs and, you know, he thought it should have been an and one. And clearly several times after that was complaining. What I, What I think is interesting about this is. How much credit does Joe get for inheriting a team that two years ago went to the finals? I think his quote was cool. I thought it was an interesting insight. Um, and clearly, he deserves credit for that. But he also has a team that is mature. He has a, a team that is battle-tested. Um, he does have younger stars. You know, Tatum is just a year older. But Joe, you know, did inherit a team that is different than Dallas. Jason Kidd 
very likely is trying to do the exact same things. He talked about how he talks to the team a lot about the officiating and keeping emotions in check. And truthfully, he's really meeting Luca. He talks to Luca a lot. And as we said before, there might not be a coach, a, a person on this earth right now that can make Luca change unless Luca wants to change. But I found that contrast really interesting. And I'm curious, like, how do you decipher, you know, just the differences? Really, that that's the key here. The differences between a team that's been to the finals, a team that is a title contender this season, and one that's still a step away by roster, but maybe possibly by some other things too. You know, I think, I mean, obviously Boston is just so much more talented than um, than the Mavericks. And they have Drew Holiday this season, who is not only just has won a championship and is supremely talented, but is also just like an all-around great human being, very mature, very level-headed, and a person who's been through a lot of personal battles in his own personal life that he can, he just, he just knows how to conduct himself in a locker room. And between having Drew Holiday, who was in the 2008 NBA draft, and having Al Horford, who was in the 2007 NBA draft, let me tell you, when I was in high school, I had the Drew Holiday <laughs> Dime Magazine poster when he was the best player in high school. Those are guys who just like have been around for a very long time, who have won at multiple levels, who have been great players for a very long time. And then they also have their two best players in Tatum and Brown, who've been to multiple playoff runs, multiple conference finals. And I think they're just a much more seasoned group um, than the than, than this Mavericks group. This Mavericks group is also is still learning each other. You know, some players have played together for a while, and then they still have Kyrie, who's been there for a year. But I mean, mostly like those challenges and what what Mazula is talking about, and also the frustrations that kid kind of expressed from that game. I mean, they they start and end with Luka Doncic. Luka Doncic, is, Luka is just he is the one of the more emotional not the, one of the more he is the most emotional star we have in this league he he struggles with his emotions in games that is just a, a a fact when things are not going his way it is sometimes hard for him to to rebound from that and his energy and his emotions are infectious onto the team and i i i'm not really sure what a nba head coach can do to curb it other than just like work with him over the years. I think eventually he'll Luke will get to a place where he no longer does that, but it's, it's who he is. It's who, he, it's who he's been in the NBA. It's who he was at Real Madrid. It's, it's part of the package. It's part of his brilliance. You know, it's just, that is just part of the package. And I think, I think the Mavericks and the Celtics are just two in two completely different places because quite honestly, I think in 2022, when the Mavericks made that run to the conference finals, the Mavericks and the Celtics, they were close. Had the Mavericks somehow, you know, Steph Curry sprints an ankle in the conference finals and the Mavs go to the finals and had played that Celtics team, I think that would have been a very close series. And I, I honestly, I I think the Mavericks could have beat the Celtics in that series. They, they had beaten them earlier in that year, and they were a good matchup for them at that point. And But since then, I, the, the, the distance is much further between those two teams. But Yeah, if they had a, a player or two on the bench. Like, like yeah. just one healthy, competent, one, one, one more healthy, yeah. competent player. Yeah. One more competent yeah. player. I think it would have been a really good series, but. Or or your hypothetical that you've thrown to me before. If they had uh, Derek Lively, the second right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm but, not sure um, I believe that one, but I do love it as a hypothetical. Let's yeah. It's it's a good hypothetical. Yeah. If they had Derek Lively in 2022, I think they might have made the finals, but it's. 
now those teams are very far apart talent wise. The Celtics have just way more talent and maturity than than the Mavericks do. So I think uh, Missoula has the opportunity. Also, Missoula had the opportunity to coach Tatum and Brown as an assistant and then become the head coach. And so he he's gotten to know them at two different levels. And I think that's also kind of a, a bit of a benefit to him. Yeah. We might have lost Mike. I, th- I think he's having an internet outage. So we're going to finish the rest of the episode without him. Luca is the most emotional star. You said that you're right. I I, th- I believe you're right. But we've got to stick on that one just just for for a second longer. I I do not think the answer is. I I know the answer is not go get someone who's going to yell at him or bench him. Like this is this is ultimately a Luca thing. I I think Jason Kidd has helped Luca. Yeah, I I would agree. I think that ultimately Luca has another half step to go. And that half step is the difference between him being this good and him being a team that can bring a, you know, win the finals, a, a, a player that can win in the playoffs, that can be that level of consistent. We know how good he is. We know how good he can be. We know that he dropped a what, 33, 13, 10 triple double on a night where he's like, yes, I was awful. Um, and you kind of we love we love Luca. I I <laughs> truly enjoy like like this is one of the one of the coolest things you know. I, I when I took the job at the Athletic, it was um it was one month before the uh, the the 2018 lottery. What one month before the draft? I, I think it was after the lottery, but it was it was a month before the draft. I didn't know I was going to be covering Luca. It's the best thing that's ever happened in my career, and. He's just not quite there yet. Yeah. I, I think you see it. And, and you I, I think you can also see it in a player like Joel Embiid. Someone who was very emotional at times. I, I don't think that was I, I don't want to directly compare, you know, Embiid's wasn't to that level. And, and Embiid's not the only player. But you can look at players who've reached their late 30, or late 20s, uh, and and who realize, you know, just what exactly they have to bring, what what they have to maintain throughout the course of a season. And I did think, and, and you pointed this out on Twitter, I thought that, you know, the one thing we've seen from Luca is he rises to the occasion. And if Dallas is back in the postseason, I expect he's going to be that player on a nightly basis. But I still think that extra half step is important. And I was a little surprised. We we've seen mediocre Luca games pop in here or there. And that's going to happen for any star. I thought with the extra rest facing the best team in the league, a team he's killed before. Um, and I thought on Slovenian heritage night with a bunch of Slovenians in the building, I thought it, this would be one of those ones he rose to the occasion and doesn't change who he is that he didn't, but I was a little surprised. Yeah, I was, I was surprised as well. He, he always rises to the occasion when there's a, if there's something to play for and there's something that intrigues him, he always rises to the. I, it's very rare where I, I think he puts up a stinker in a in a game that matters personally to him. And Slovenia alone, even if they're not playing the Celtics, is, was is enough for him. You know, it's it's so funny. He 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 played poorly, and I was sitting in a bar after the game, and some some fans that went to the game came to the bar and were wearing the "I love Slovenia" like scarves and just yeah. looks so sad. And I was like, you know what? He typically does not leave people. In the Isle of Savinia, it doesn't leave them sad. Usually, you go to see Luca. You you travel. They were tanking, and he said, "I'm still playing the first quarter." Yeah, exactly. He 
He was hurt when he played in Real Madrid, and he still hit like four threes in the first quarter and then sat down. I, he's a guy who usually rises to the occasion, so that's that's why the the performance against the Celtics was particularly alarming to me. I was like, he really doesn't have it if he's not playing well in a game against a competitor. It's a team that he's been really good against in his career, and that's a good team, and in front of his Slovenian fans. Well, thankfully, Mike Pellucci is someone who is so disgusted by the thought of even criticizing Luca mildly. Within the appropriate context of how good we know he is, I feel like I have to say this, the internet's getting worse. People are getting more and more upset about, it's it's the it's the TikTokification, it's the, Gen, it's the Gen Z, it's not the Gen Z, but it's just like that's, everybody is like a fan of a player and not, not of a, I don't know. I, this is a this is an old man rant. I need to go on. But anyway, Mike Pelucci came back and and let's just talk about uh, a few trade targets that have been floated. Uh, how was your time away from our heresy, our little heresy uh, conversation, Mike? Did you oh, well, enjoy the I silence? Mean, just just know that whatever heresy you guys have is infinitely less frustrating than dealing with spectrum in any capacity in any walk of life, especially when you're recording a podcast. Uh, who did you guys already chat about as far Ooh. as your Spectrum, no one. We're just. Uh oh. Uh oh. Uh, listen, Spectrum. I'll take this all back if you want to sponsor this podcast. You come <laughs> on here. You you throw some ad dollars in here. I will sing your praises. I can be bought. I just I love the way that they uh, just <laughs> exist I love all the around way us. That they never answer your customers. Well, service. you know what? I was. I was trying to think about like what the internet actually does, and then I realized I don't know. I don't. I, I don't think I'll ever understand how how the internet works. I, I mean, the, an, an interconnection, an internet connection, really is a spectrum. Whether or not you have it or not, it's it's just on a spectrum. We can read that. that in an how ad they read. came up with the name? Dollars. We will read that in an ad read. <laughs> See, I thought it was just named after like I don't know, like their founder, who's like probably like Harry B. Spectrum or something. I'm it's kidding. A spectrum family. Actually, I gave up on that bit too soon. I should have played dumber and dumber. Anyway, uh, no, we were just pivoting to trade targets. We haven't talked okay. about anybody. I, I, we don't need to spend too long here. PJ Washington, Andrew Wiggins, uh, who else? Uh, Jeremy Grant has been floated, but not really seriously. I, they're definitely targeting a tall four. You don't need reporting to know that, but there has been reporting to know that. And I can tell you right now, I've just a few days ago, was talking to I was talking to an agent who said, "Yeah, I'm hearing Dallas is really looking at tall fours." So, all that out of the way, they're very clearly looking at tall fours. It's the right thing to be looking at. Do any of the names that have been floated? I, I mentioned three. There's a couple I'm missing. Um, Kuzma and I mean Daniel uh, Gafford's had- only a four, but Daniel Gafford's been in his name's been thrown out there as a backup five. I mean, look, man, you got to be a lot braver than me to take on that Andrew Wiggins contract. I'll put it this way. I'm interested in, I'm not interested in any of the tall fours or bigs that would require a first. Agreed. Because, because all of the ones on the market right now are not good enough to use that first on. Do you trade Josh? Green for Siakam, Siakam was the one uh, oh, yeah. that, that, yeah, 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 yeah. did that whole show. Do you trade Josh Green for any of these players? Um, I don't. I don't think so, and I'm a I'm a Josh Green uh, agnostic. <laughs> like I've, I've I've I really thought I came around on on him last season, and I just I I really wonder if for his sake he needs to be on a team that isn't you know run by two heliocentric players, and 
his inconsistency is just going to continue. But I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure. I'm not sure. He's by far, you know, non-lively category. You know, the player that a lot of teams around the league are, are still pretty intrigued with. Uh, Jaden Hardy. There, almost every franchise in the almost every team has a Jaden Hardy on their roster. Yeah. I think Hardy can be a solid player, especially with the spot up shooting, but there are a lot of Jaden Hardys in the league. Omax is intriguing, but has shown nothing. Too Josh well. Green is a player that is interested, like like people around the league are interested in. Yeah. I mean, out of those names that we talked about, I like the idea of PJ Washington. The problem is I think a lot of the PJ Washington fans that you see on Mavs Twitter sometimes forget that this team is height challenge and PJ Washington six seven. Like he's not going to help some of the things that you need help with, even if the skill set is nice. Um, and yeah, the Wiggins contract is terrifying. Uh, that doesn't seem like anything they should try to put on their books. Um, Jeremy Grant, I think we've talked about this on the show before. Like Jeremy Grant, it seems like he has made a choice for what he wants his career to be. I don't judge that choice because, frankly, if you want to know all the ways I'm not wired to be a pro basketball player, I'd probably make the choice Jeremy Grant made. Straight up. If you told me you can be a cog on a really good team where you can make a lot more money and shoot and score 20 a night and your situation might not be great, but you get to be a dude in a cool NBA city doing that. Sign me up, man. Sign me up. But if you're Jeremy Grant is also Jeremy Grant is based, you know, he's similar to Siakam, except the shots that Siakam gets at five feet or three feet. He gets at 10 feet and eight feet. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just, I, I'm, I, yeah, I, disposition, you know, if, if you told me he'd buy in, I would think about it, but I, I still don't think that he's quite the player that they need. He's, he's a, he's a, uh, 85% of Siakam is not the player that they're looking for. No. And like, and that's the best case think, scenario of buy-in and everything. Yeah. I do think a backup five could go a long way for them. Like a Daniel Gafford or, you know, I think it's what a month ago now, you know, James Edwards was Nick Richards. What's that? Nick Richards is the one I'm interested in. Well, I was going to say, I mean, a month ago, uh, our pal James Edwards was reporting that the Mavericks were one of the teams looking at Isaiah Stewart. Um, Less interested. I mean, less interested in that. Very interested in Nick Richards. I think he's, I think he's way better than people think. Like he's, he's fairly mobile. You can talk into any number. He's mobile. You could talk into a number of backup fives, given what they're working with right now. There are a lot of names that could upgrade that backup center position and just give you such better minutes to where you're not depending on lively as much as you are. The question is, you know, are you, are you going to get Nick Richards without a one? You're going to get Daniel Gaffer without a one. I'm not saying that you, you should pay a one for these players. I'm saying, are these teams going to turn around and say, yeah, we'll we'll trade them, but we want a one. You guys want me to say something salacious that was told to me? Absolutely. That's that's what the podcast is for to say salacious things that people told you. It was by somebody who works within the league, uh, whose opinion I respect. And I'm not sure they 100% meant it, and I'm not sure I 100% believe it. But basically, it was like, if the Mavericks traded for Nick Richards, the fans would be so pissed when he started starting over Derek Lively by the season's end. (laughs) Again, it was so salacious that I have to toss it out there. The point is, I legitimately think Nick Richards is a pretty nice player, and it, it, you know, like he's, he's been benched because uh, uh, Mark Williams is the the center they drafted, right? Yes, yeah. They both have like the most generic names possible. They really do. Um, 
uh, he's he's been mentioned for that reason, and Mark Williams does seem like someone with higher upside. But if you just want a really quality big man, if if he's available for ever Sean Holmes, I, maybe not even that. I, I need to look at his contract. But the, the point is, if if in terms of what you're sending back, it's a second round pick or or two. Um, that's probably the name that I would be most interested in because I just don't think the tall four is on the market. Um, it's a combination of availability and just not being good enough. If Dallas could get, yeah, if Dallas so could get PJ Washington for two seconds and contract filler. I think I'd say yes, just because it's good to bring in talent, but like, he's not the person fixing the maps and then maybe you just have a player that you can go package at a later point, which is that a good way to do business? Maybe, maybe it's, not. So it's, Nick Richards uh, is making 5 million for the next three years. The last year's non-guaranteed. It's a really good contract. And when I, and I'm yeah, clarify, sure. what I was saying, are the, are these teams trading players that are for not a one? I don't know if Washington's trading Daniel Gafford for not a one Nick Richards making 5 million annually as the backup in Charlotte. Yeah. I don't think you have to move a one to get Nick Richards. Does Charlotte know what they have? I have no idea. But the point is, is that you could sell me on, any number of options where I'm going to look and say, sure, a mid-20s backup five who can give you some things defensively when Lively's off the floor, uh, sign me up, you know? I, I, you as we pointed out, What's they that? could use another, as we pointed out on this show, they could use another spot-up shooter. Sure. Like, like they, yes, I agree that size is probably, you know, a tall four defense size rebounding. Hey. They, they could use one more offensive player. Like, that. that Tim, is... Tim, if, what, if, you what if I told right you... Now, what if I told you that you could you could maybe acquire a player that does both that does some defending and also some some shooting? You have the tone in your voice that you're about yeah, to say you something look at your face, man. horrendous, just <laughs> disgusting. What's Listen, that? I'm what, I'm, com- I'm I'm coming home. I'm coming home. It's Dorian for another Dorian Finney Smith reunion. Oh man! If you could get Dorian without giving up a first, I think I would do that. But, well, sure, but are you actually being story with But are you? Uh, yeah. The reporting. The reporting is that Brooklyn wants two firsts. But Brooklyn wants two firsts. Brooklyn is not. First of all, they're not getting two firsts. They, they could get a first. It's first. a leverage play. But if they're yeah. starting at two firsts, that means they want one. That's how. It's, that's how these reports work, right? Yeah. It's a shame that Grant Williams has been so bad that he might have a negative contract now, <laughs> because I would I would gladly give up Grant and two firsts for Dorian just to just to swap because. Uh, he fills a lot of needs for the team. Like it's there's not yeah. a lot of players on the on the market who are gettable, who defend and who hit threes at a high rate from the corner. Like he it's and it's a running bit now, and it's like part of my brand that like I want to bring back Dory. But he is legitimately one of the one of the few players that they could acquire that fills one of their biggest needs that they need. I mean, just he they make don't have kind of a lot of picks to move. And if you're telling me you're trading the last one they could move for 31-year-old Dorian Finney-Smith, man, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I'm, not moving, I'm not moving a first. That's the thing. I would never... Well, I would, they're not going to get him for, without a first. Yeah, that's the thing. I, w- I would only trade him if I could figure out how to get him without a first. Maybe you... This would have to be a bigger deal with more players involved. But if you had a bigger deal with more players involved with Josh Green and other things, and you're getting more things back. Maybe you're getting Dorian and you're getting a backup, a good backup center. You're getting something. You're getting something else. I but talked to Dorian last week. That's oh nice. yeah, you did. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was sitting next to Dennis. I know Mavs oh. fans will uh, enjoy that. You know, those two. I are like how you said that. And, like our reaction, especially my reaction, was just like you just talked about our friend from college. Just like, <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wouldn't. You know, I I wasn't going to ask him about the trade rumors, but I was like, you know, just walking off. I was like, yeah, some rumors and uh. 
that, that Dallas might be interested or talking about you. And he just he just smiled. You know, he's walking <laughs> off, but he, he smiled. Didn't yeah, really I'm add sure anything to it. I, I didn't expect him to, you know. But uh, but yeah, he's doing well. Still friends with Dennis Smith. Um, I, I would say as a buyout candidate, because I don't think he's going to get traded because his contract is too big. But as a buyout candidate, I think Gordon Hayward would be a really solid player if you could get him and he stays healthy. He's still playing well as a buyout candidate. I wouldn't yes, wouldn't yeah. give up wouldn't give up any assets for him. I don't know why I feel like it's his destiny to go to the Pacers and get spot out, but it feels like his destiny to go to the Pacers. He's maybe he's got a he's got his unfinished business with Kyrie. Yeah, I don't know. Um, They're I, in a I weird mean, spot, ideally, though. Yeah, ideally, like you just get. I I don't know. I mean, that's a it's he's not a Tim Hardaway level player, but it, it's can you get spot up shooting at the expense of? You know, obviously he has more creation, but if you're going to get a, a player who at this point is the defender he is. I'm not like, I absolutely. I guess like, my thing is like, if it's a buyout situation, I yeah, buy, buy him, like, I, I'm just, just I, I, I'm trying to imagine him like what role does he actually play on a, you know, in a, in a first round series? I, that, that's what I I'm mean, trying to imagine. He's a starter on a team. I think he's still like a good NBA player. He's just hurt all the time. Like I, if he's look, if you're looking at a starter on this team is what I mean. You know, like if, yeah, if I don't this think it's team a questionability, it's a right. Is he a fit on this? Run? You're you're right. I I'm underplaying a little bit. Like he is still a very good player. Um, he's a he's a six eight wing who can shoot and ball handle and still is a like has some athleticism. It's not like a complete, you know. He's probably the same level player as Tim Hardaway Jr. on defense. He's not like you're a, right. You're, you're right. I, I'm fully underplaying Gordon Hayward. Um, basically, where this was coming from was the idea that I just watched them play Boston, and Tim Hardaway Jr. played 32 minutes, and he both kept them in the game and cannot play 32 minutes. And so, if it's just it's a it's a hard it's a hard yeah, one. It's, to it's they don't, they don't have a lot tackle. of. Per- they don't have a lot of perfect solutions. You know who can play 32 minutes, though, Tim? <laughs> Dorian Finney Smith plays 35. Dor- Dorian Finney Smith is going to play 40 minutes in that. 35. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. We've had enough here. Uh, I, I agree with you. I'm not sure that, you know, Gordon Hayward would even come to the Mavs. I'm sure there were Indiana Pacers. Did Why did he, he play for Butler? Go, go home. Oh, going back to you. Oh, yeah, he did play he for Butler. Home. Okay, I was just like, yeah, we know he's white, but... This is his chance. That, don't, that don't, doesn't hurt. I mean, he can go back to Utah. That's true. That's true. <laughs> he's played in... Uh, is he welcome back in Utah? I, honestly, it's never fully dawned on yeah, me that he's played... Like, well, he he, he went to Butler, and then he's played in Utah, Boston, and Charlotte. <laughs> it's never, like, God, fully dawned on me. The guy knows his What? what, what oh, yeah. All right, let's get out of here. Um, thanks, everyone. We'll be back next week. Uh, thank you for listening. It's what you do best. Uh, thank you, you two guys on the camera. Austin, Mike, we'll see ya. Hey, how's it going? What? What do you mean, dozens? You sound insane. No, you're confused. Have you heard the song? Yeah, this is the only Mavericks podcast to exist ever. This is the only Mavericks podcast. This is the only Mavericks podcast.